Howdy, Who that call my name? Oh, uh, 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 hello, Uncle Remus. Appears to me that you was in a powerful bad mood to go to the party. I ain't going to no party. Because I ain't going to be here. I'm going to leave this old place. You're listening to Don't Repeat This, the show where we talk about the stuff you're not supposed to bring up at the dinner table. I'm Nate. I'm Vicky. I'm Gail. And today we are joined by Daniel James Belnavis, a singer, actor, and storyteller whose performance credits include the national tour of Hamilton, an American musical, the international tour of Dreamgirls, as well as regional productions of Into the Woods, Little Shop of Horrors, and Showboat. Daniel, I want to first of all say thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Daniel, why don't you start off by uh, taking maybe just a couple of minutes to uh, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your story, um, and uh, and how you got into the, the musical theater industry. Well, yeah. Um, so I stumbled upon it um, in middle school, and I, you know, then I just became obsessed with it. I didn't know that I could sing and it just, you know, felt um, very special. So I started doing choir. I started um, performing in the school plays. And uh, then when I got to high school, I started doing, um, I went to, so I'm from Montclair, New Jersey. And so at Montclair High, they have this program called the School of Visual and Performing Arts. It's their after school program. So I started doing that and it just, you know, was a little safe haven. Um, but I still didn't know that one could do this professionally. I thought it was just like this thing that made me feel good after school. Um, and then I started doing um, summer programs and I did the paper mill playhouse summer conservatory and they would have, you know, industry people come in and they would teach us, you know, stuff that I had no idea about, you know, uh, like a repertoire book, you know, in the industry, it's just like, oh, like your book, bring your book. And so it's your book of songs and audition cuts and stuff. And I had no idea what that was. And so I just started putting random songs in the book <laughs> like, um, that were not even appropriate for me. I, I put, I dreamed a dream. I was just like, oh, I like this song. I should put it in. I don't even really know it, but and I just remember, I remember there was this one kid who I left my book out and then he starts going through it. And he was like, whose book is this? And I was like, <laughs> oh, it's mine. And he was like, why do you have um, like stepsister's lament? Oh my God. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and so stuff like that, where I, you know, truly Aww. gaining my footing. Um, and then I, you know, went through the college audition process which is super involved. You know, I, I did, I was lucky enough to get an audition coach who worked with me. Um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's a whole little, it's an, it's an industry in and of itself, the college audition process. And I'm so glad I went through it then because now it's like, you have to have a pre-screen, you have to, it's this whole, you know, it's very stage mom. Oh it's, gosh. it's crazy. Um, so I went to university of Michigan for musical theater um, got my BFA. And since then I've just been working professionally, sometimes l many lulls in between. I didn't, I didn't, um, you know, some kids that I went to school with graduated and started booking Broadway immediately. That was not my story. Um, so I had to work really hard to, 
you know, pound the pavement and get seen for things. And um, it's been about 10 years and yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. Um, so I guess uh, where I'd like to kind of go is um, into, you were talking a bit about the audition process um, or mm -hmm. alluded a bit to it. Um, and fairly recently, um, just this past October, you had written an essay uh, entitled Black Due Diligence. And I had read uh, or alluded to it on a previous episode uh, where we were speaking with Kerry Connolly, who is the author of the book um, Good White Racist. And mm. we we shared a little bit about your story, and then I, I read an excerpt from there. Uh, so if you want to hear some of that, that's a, a great episode to, to listen to. Um, we, we talk about uh, the essentially interrogating whiteness and asking questions about uh, whiteness and the white pseudo-supremacist ideology. Um, and your experience in the audition process was kind of uh, central to a certain portion of that conversation. And I thought that was really helpful. I'll put a link to that essay in the show notes because I think it's really important for people to read. So you shared a, a few specific stories mm -hmm. about your experience in the industry that, that kind of prompted or maybe forced you to put on this hat of racial awareness educator. Um, and that's not your job. Clearly, that's mm -hmm. not what you studied or what you wanted to devote your career to. Um, given our society's persistent inability to recognize its own ineptitude when it comes to racial injustice, I feel like I need to ask, why, why take the time to enter the educator realm when you were, you're a performer? That's what you want to do. Yeah, it's not my job. Uh but sadly, it kind of becomes your job to protect yourself. Um, and then, and then also then to protect others. Um, it's this lesson that no one's really looking out for you. It's a, a lot of times these creative teams, these producers, every, everyone, it's, it's mostly white people, you know, um, and there's just this natural ineptitude that happens because this is not their experience. They don't think about it. Um, and so I think there's this loss of control that happens. And I wasn't always trying to do the work to call it out. I think that's come with age. And I think it's also a privilege of some of, some of the credits, you know, I, I don't, I, you know, I was, like you mentioned, I was in Hamilton. I toured in the first national tour, um, for over two years. And I think that definitely gave me confidence. It was a huge learning experience. And, you know, before Hamilton, I probably wouldn't have spoken up, but it, you know, and I think it was just kind of this thing of, I don't care anymore. I've accomplished something. It grants me a certain privilege. Um, which sucks in the industry because they think if you don't have a big credit, then it's like, well, what have you done? A, um, a good friend of mine who has worked her ass off for years and she's done a lot of regional theater. And um, she had an interview with an agent trying to get, you know, new representation. And she's my age. I'm 31. She's 30 now. And they asked her, they were like, 
so what have you been doing for the last 10 years? Just because she didn't have a Broadway credit, because she didn't have, you know, a first national tour credit or anything like that. And so there's this, you know, uh, point system and it's not very fair, but, um, I think because of Hamilton, I almost felt an obligation to speak up because to these people, I might be a little bit more legitimate. So let me say something because this other actor who is just out here, you know, trying to get seen, trying to get cast in these small things, they don't have as much power to speak up. Um, and, and ultimately it's, like I said before, it's to, for, it's for protection because I don't want to go into a room and, you know, like my therapist will call it, that's a setup, you know, and that is, a, that is a setup for me to experience even more trauma. Um, and so it sucks that I have to do that work, but it's like, if I don't do it, no one's going to do it for me. So I need to, and I think that's kind of the burden of being black in America. It's like, you have to be hyper vigilant. You have to be hyper aware because if you put your trust in the wrong hands, all of a sudden I'm on stage shucking and jiving and doing things that are that I don't feel comfortable with. You had mentioned in your in your essay the um, uh, auditioning for a role that was particularly harmful, um, like in in a number of different ways. Um, and in in the essay, it was the the story that was being told in the play was that of Emmett Till. Mm -hmm. um, do you do you mind sharing a little bit about that? No, not at all. Um, it is absolutely absurd. You know, I initially when I got the audition appointment, I see an Emmett Till musical, and I know the industry. And I, you know, so I first, I was like, I don't think the musical theater industry is even a realm for this story to be told because it's, I, I, you know, it's sad, but like, I don't trust this medium and the gatekeepers of this medium to tell this story responsibly. Um, and so then I, you know, do a quick Google and the entire team the creators um, are white people, oh my God. you know, and uh, white men. And um, it's just absolutely absurd. It's like, you, ha you almost have to laugh. It's like, what makes you think that it, this is your story to tell, you know? And then I looked up the creator and I don't remember his name, but like one of his other big musicals was like an Ethel Merman musical. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry, I do not have the confidence in anyone to think that you're going to jump from Ethel Merman to Emmett Till with the same competency. Right. Um, but anyway, my agent sent me in for it and it was for an ensemble role that covered several roles and some of them being white characters. And I, I'm like this, first of all, this is not the story where we should have colorblind casting. Um, and then one of the characters that I would cover was Roy Bryant, who was the man who murdered Emmett Till. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Oh my you know? God. So I'm reading through the, the audition sides that they're sending me and I'm truly having to say lines about like, you know, dragging him outside of his home. And I emailed my agent and I was just like, 
you know, I'm actually going to be out of town anyway for this, which was a nice excuse not to go. But then I was like, also, I don't feel comfortable auditioning for this. Yeah. And then my agent just responded. They're like, okay. Wow. You know, and it, and, and so that's an experience where it's like, that should not have even gotten to me. Right. That should have been intercepted and said, and you know, my, my agent should have said, oh, this is ludicrous. I'm not going to even send this to him, you know, which didn't have even gotten produced and it was getting produced at, um, not a super, I I don't remember, but I don't think it was like a super prominent theater, but it's like, this could have gotten caught so many times, Mm -hmm. but it didn't. And so then it lands upon my feet. And so then it's, so that's the work that that's the job that I have to do. And then sadly, you know, I'm sure that another black actor was just like, well, I need the paycheck. I need to do this. So I'm not comfortable. Um, and so that's how it, you know, it becomes a cycle and it, um, perpetuates. Yeah. So can I ask, do you still have that same agent? No, I let them go um, towards the beginning of quarantine Um, because I was still getting sent in for things and I'm not super passionate about auditioning right now. It's a whole long story about me re-examining whether or not I want to continue doing musical theater. And so I'm just like, you know, I don't even feel like doing these self-tapes from home. I hate a Mm. (laughs) self-tape. I'm so much better in person. Um, and so I was like, you know, I said to them, I was like, you know, I, I don't even, you know, this is a time of exploration for me. I don't even know that I want to continue pursuing musical theater. Should that change? I no longer wish to be represented by you. Thank you so much for everything. Um, essentially like peace be with you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for some of the opportunities they gave me, you know, they are the ones who got me an audition appointment for Hamilton. So, um, I am grateful to them, but I think a lot of times and myself included, you forget that agents are the people that work for you. Um, and you know, they got me that opportunity, but then I'm the one who booked it. Um, so there becomes this, you know, I feel indebted to these people, but at the same time, I'm like, no, I, I held up my part of the bargain and you got your cut. Um, so, I, you know, I am not beholden to you. I, I also want to talk about um, the, the idea of, of tropes and stereotyping um, in, in media, whether it's Hollywood, whether it's um, uh, television, musical theater, uh, just media in general, and mm-hmm. uh, re- representation and misrepresentation. Um, as a consumer myself and as somebody who's non-white, I find that um, representation has been historically pretty bad um, for me as a Japanese American. Um, you know, one example that Vicky and I had actually talked about a little bit um, on our video games podcast, plug for that because all the gamers <laughs> who are listening, that's, that's a fun one. Um, but like Japanese hister- history and culture. Um, being appropriated and kind of profited off of by white American companies, um, specifically the the game Ghost of Tsushima. And then mm. we were talking about um, Mickey Rooney's character, Mr. Yunioshi in uh, oh Breakfast God. at Tiffany's, mm-hmm. um, and how it's it's teeth. tough to <laughs> it's tough to see that as uh, um, as an Asian American. Um, you know, Gail and I had had spoken before we we were recording about how. Uh, by and large, 
Asian Americans don't get healthy representation in film and, and television. We're often the, the plucky sidekick, comic, comic relief. Mm. Um, we're, we're the nerd character. The ninja kung fu character. Yeah, or like the kung fu, yeah, the, the guru of some kind, some mysterious, uh, exotic, quote-unquote, character. Um, so anyway, for, for me specifically, that's, that's kind of um, been, been sort of a, a thorn in the flesh, I suppose. Um, but as, as far as tropes go, um, your experience, Daniel, you, you would, you would mention before we hit record, um, that you had, uh, some, some experience either, was it like, uh, right after college or around, around college? Um, was it putting together, um, when you exit, you have to put together a profile or you have to yeah, um, it, it was about um, the college showcase that happens. Um, but real quick, I wanted to add on to what you were talking about with Asian representation, because it's, you know, musical theater is also the same, you know? Um, and if you are a person of color, a lot of times you get pigeonholed into, oh, well, these are the main shows that you can be in, or these mm -hmm. are the only shows that you can be in. So that's what, you know, it's like what Miss Saigon, Flower Drum Song, mm -hmm. um, like The King and I, and so many of my friends, it's like, you know, you do, you know, you end up doing these shows like four or five times and you're, you know, and it's like, well, that's the moneymaker because that's what I get cast in. Or if you're a black actor, it's, you know, well, I've done Eight Misbehaving, you know, not, not me personally, mm -hmm. but I know friends who have done Eight Misbehaving like 12 times. And it's because there's fewer opportunities. And so then when these shows are produced, it's like, well, I'm going to get seen for that, or that's how I'm going to, you know, gain my health insurance weeks. Um, so there's just less opportunity and it's just this narrower opportunity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I want to play Marius. I don't want to play the mm -hmm, king. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and then a lot, so many times it's very few people are granted entree to, you know, getting to play these more um, not race-specific roles. Um, you know, it depends on your agent or your publicist or all of these things. You know, in my career, I have not been someone who has gotten to do a lot of that. And it leads into the, you know, what I, the college showcase thing. Because for my showcase, what happens is a lot of these musical theater programs when you graduate, you know, you have a big showcase in New York, sometimes in LA, but typically New York, because that's obviously the center of musical theater where you, um, everyone in your class, you know, you get what, like a minute and a half song, two minute song to introduce yourself to agents. That's your first big thing, you know, to hit the ground running. Um, and then afterwards you get, you know, you, you get your agent or um, casting director response, and then you go and have these meetings with people. And, you know, it's your first welcome to New York City. And it, so many people, you know, you, they tell you, okay, it's just one day. Please do not stress too much. But of course, in the moment, you're like, mm-hmm, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's, it's the biggest thing in the world to you. Right. So for... Uh, my showcase song, my professors didn't know what to do with me. Uh, and so I was going to sing, I was originally going to sing the song Something by the Beatles. And, you know, just get to show off my vocals. And it's kind of this, you know, romantic song. And I was excited about singing it. 
but then like just a few weeks before um showcase uh in my senior performance class we had cruise ship week where you come in and you bring in a song that's you know what you would sing on a cruise ship so it's you know people singing memory from cats or you know so it's like a fun opportunity to do these songs that are like maybe schmaltzy that you wouldn't actually perform so i performed a song from the musical five guys named mo um called Cal- caledonia and it's very um you know it's very over the top and very as i would call it blacking you know you kind of lean into this kind of stereotypical thing and my professor he was like obsessed he was uh, like oh my god i've never seen you i've never seen you like this and you're just having so much fun and wow and then he called in the other professors and they were like i really think that he should do this for showcase and they were like okay sounds good to us yeah we like it and for me in that moment i didn't even you know you don't even know yourself you're trusting you're putting your trust in these people well they know better than i do and you know i do this i do this song i didn't get one call from an agent and you know and then me looking back on it it's like well of course i didn't because this is a song that should be performed by a 45 year old man you know it's um such a, it's a character song which is your showcase should be you know you're a blank slate you know so i come in and i'm singing the song that's like walking with my baby she's got great big feet she's long <laughs> lean and you know it's this you know super specific song and i don't no disrespect to that to that musical i've done that musical twice it's super fun um but i shouldn't have been doing that song and it's then i examine well why did they love it so much why did they feel super comfortable with me doing it you know oh i've never i've never seen you like this but it's like oh because you are the most comfortable with me being this idea of blackness that you know and that you think is great and funny and then the next day i had coffee with the same professor who first chose the song for me and you know i'm just mixed up i'm like i can't believe this i thought that it was going so well and you know just a classic example of gaslighting cuz i struggled with confidence a lot in college and he says to me he goes well you know what i think that there was just a glimmer of you know that same glimmer of you not feeling confident enough you know mhm oh. he's like you know and i think that they probably picked up on that you know and for me at that moment again i'm like oh, yeah he's right no. you know i probably mhm and i guess that there was something where i was still holding back i still wasn't fully committed and so i you know and so that is why now i'm like no fuck that yeah i know it was not i know it was not me you know they didn't want to take any responsibility for their role in it so instead let me continue to create and perpetuate these negative cognitive distortions in this person's head um and so now it's when, sorry you go sorry daniel didn't mean to cut you what do you think not at all at which point do you think you clued into to seeing it the way you see it now like what helped you to to understand what was really going on or at what moment did you relook through that history lens and went wait a mm-hmm. second i think probably as i gained more experience i feel like um 
around, I think I was probably around like 25. And as we watched the world explode more and we started seeing, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement explode more when you're seeing these Black lives get plundered over and over again and the internet exposing it more and these feelings that are always there for me, but I didn't allow myself to acknowledge. And I think it has to do with growing up in predominantly white spaces and uh, swallowing these feelings, not knowing that it was okay for me to have them because I'm taught to be palatable or non-combative, not problematic, all this stuff. But then kind of getting it inspired by people who are sharing their stories. And then I'm like, uh, yeah, that happened to me and it is not okay. Why did I allow, you know, and you put the blame on yourself, but it's like, you know, you go, well, why did I allow that to happen? Because I, right. I didn't see it. And I've been conditioned to just say, okay. And, um, and it's sad, but it's like, thank God you wake up. You know, it's this whole thing about decolonizing your mind. Mm. Yeah. That at the work that everyone has to do, but it's also me as a black gay man realizing the things that um, I was so conditioned to believe. Um, So to answer your question, I think there were certain experiences that I had in shows with directors, with castmates that I was just like, you know what? I'm done. I'm tired of apologizing for myself. You're not going to, I'm not going to allow you to speak to me like this. And it was just this gradual thing that happened good for Mm. you thanks thanks so i want to transition a little bit and um if we could all put on our media consumer hats for uh for a bit um gail had been doing some research right in in movies and well we were having a whole conversation before we hit record on this and (laughs) nate had to block his ears because he does not (laughs) like to hear spoilers but i think i think at this point i'm gonna go ahead and concede because it sounds like there's some some good stuff to be said (laughs) where i will i will concede i'll still watch the movie and i'll still enjoy the movie but for those of you in the audience who don't want to hear don't want to hear spoilers for soul Right. For, yeah. For, exactly. For Make the movie. Make sure you say soul. the right movie. <laughs> yeah. Precisely. Because we are going to be talking about a bunch of other movies, but I don't want to throw spoiler alerts for movies that have been out for years and years. Because that's that's right. your homework you have right. to do. Right. <laughs> well, that, a, re, a, a quick aside. Um, a friend of mine is watching The OC right now. And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's his, you know, that was like, what, 2003, 2004? Right. And I mentioned that one of the main characters dies. I was like, oh, yeah, I don't think I saw the ending where she dies. And she was like, oh, my God, spoiler alert. And I'm like, girl, this has been out for 15 years. <laughs> it's funny with the internet now. People are picking up old shows. Like, I'm into Grey's mm-hmm. Anatomy, and I'm on season 17. But I know so many people who are, like, my daughter, has. she's on season four. And, like, her friends are all like, don't say anything. We're on season oh, yeah. seven. Right. Oh, guys, come on. Got a lot of catching up to do. (laughs) But um, we were discussing, you know, before we hit record, uh, and Vicky, you were saying that you never realized this before. And actually, before I read this article, it was written by, and I want to give credit to Andrew Tejada. He's a New York City writer. But he put together an article talking about how animated movies in Hollywood, and, um, and when I brought this up, you were like, yeah, you noticed it, Daniel. But I think me and mm-hmm. Vicky were both just like, really? Like, you just, it happens all the time. And as a white person, you're completely oblivious 
that, th that this happens nonstop, that whenever a non-white character is brought into an animated movie, um, they turn into a creature or an animal <laughs> um, really fast. And, and I'll just list some off right here. So Soul was the one we were discussing. Um, and it's Joe who turns into a fuzzy blue character 30 minutes in. I haven't watched it yet. Um, but then there's, we, we also got into a little bit of, um, the princess and the frog, the first Disney princess movie with a black girl in it. She turns into a frog 30 minutes in. Um, and it's sad in that one. I haven't seen it, but it's so good, I, but I'm, I'm going to put on my list, but what I've heard is like, she, it's, it starts to portray a bit of her struggle to open up a restaurant in, mm -hmm. I believe New Orleans. Like, it's like, uh, you could get some really good, like, there's so much potential to tell the story of what that struggle looks like. And then it's like. Oh, oh yeah. the blackness has just disappeared, and now we're not going to mm -hmm. get into any of mm -hmm. getting to see that representation because she's a frog. And they do that in, like, with Will Smith and Spies in Disguise in t the 2019 movie. He turns into a pigeon at the 30-minute mark. I've um, never Miguel seen that one. I didn't even hear about that. Yeah, Miguel in Coco turning into a skeleton at the 28-minute mark. There's the Ican Prince in um, Costco. He converts into a llama. In the twenty, uh, in the Emperor's oh, yeah. New Groove. Yeah. The Emperor's New Groove. And then there's it's one of my favorites. So yeah, there's an, an Inuit boy. Um, Kena turns into a bear at the 16 minute mark in Brother Bear. Um, like so, this just I'm just giving a list off of examples, but like just to show it's not one movie. It's like a a repetitive thing in animated Hollywood movies. And I, the writer pointed out like two movies where it's not done horribly. And one of them, we really, we've all, like you two saw in theaters, Nate, you saw it with Mike and Vicky, but I saw it with Nate as well. It was Spider. Did you see this one, Daniel, Into the Spider-Verse? Uh, no, I, I hear it's so good, though. Everyone loved it. I love it. It's, it's such a fantastic it's movie. It's one of the rare exceptions where a black character, and because he's Spider-Man, it's impressive. I did see this one. He has his mask off a lot of the time, whereas Spider-Man, you'd assume he has his mask on. You're not going to see his blackness, but you see him as, as a black character mm. as a black human being in the movie and they're not trying to take that out of of it as they do with a lot of animated hollywood cartoon movies and the writer was saying it was a good example but there's just not a lot so this was the i don't know if we could get back into our discussion mode of soul and what you saw the movie and you enjoyed it but thoughts do you have any i don't know i'm trying to think of where well we were in our yeah discussion. i you know and like i was saying before it is it's become very predictable um, you know, the, with Princess and the Frog, you know, it's this thing of like, oh, they give us, of course, they finally give us this, but she, the caveat is she's going to be a frog for two thirds mm -hmm. of the movie. Um, so it's like, you can't, you just can't have everything. These, the gatekeepers won't allow us to have everything. Um, and I think that it, you know, and with soul and, um, I wonder, and I'm still unpacking it, but I almost wonder if it's, you know, their subliminal message was, you know, where, you know, where we all, we all bleed the same type of mm -hmm. situation where, you know, it's, and, you know, this kind of thing that makes me think of the people who are like, oh, I don't see color. Um, but even, but, you know, even with soul, you know, and because they set it up, I think that we are still aware of his blackness. Um, even when he is not, but at the same time, it's this question of palatability. And is it more palatable for this person of color to then kind of be transformed into something else? Um, so we, rem we remove their color. We'll, we'll still, like, you know, have them culturally 
represent whatever their respective culture may be, but we can't necessarily, we can't have both. We can't have their identity um, actually visually and their cultural identity. Like we have to remove something. But I feel like Disney already knows that it's it's a good idea to um, represent like black characters in the, and the fullness of their experience because black Panther, while not an animated movie was yes. so successful. It was yes. such a moneymaker and it was also really, really good. And like Chadwick Boseman, like rest in peace. He was amazing, like mm-hmm. amazing. And it wasn't because, you know, he was like singing a song about, you know, being in the South or anything. Like he wasn't doing anything that was like super tropey. He was just, I mean, maybe he was, and I just missed it as like a white woman, which is entirely possible. But he, I think he did an amazing job. And I love Princess and the Frog. I hated when she was a frog. Yeah. (laughs) I just hated that part because it was like, here's a bunch of culture about the South, about Louisiana about um like the african diaspora but also it's all watered down because they're all like animals for some mm-hmm. reason it's so bizarre well yes and black panther everything 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 i love that movie so much and uh i'm still very um just so disheartened and saddened about chadwick um have you guys seen ma rainey's black bottom yet no. no, no, not yet. Oh, it is so good. I mean, and he is fantastic in it. Viola Davis, fantastic. The whole cast. Um, so it was really um, beautiful to get to like watch one more performance from him. And then it's another reminder of how excellent this person was. And now they're gone. And it's just like devastating. Um, but yeah, I'm like very, I'm so grateful that we have Black Panther and that it is this this hero and not only just because of his powers but as a person that so many little black boys and girls can look up to um and so it's a complicated issue and I almost I'm thinking in the moment I wonder when it when it's specifically animated films and you know they think even though it's so many adults watch the animated films too but if it's something with it needs to be like more accessible for children um, with this kind of disembodiment that ha- happens so that, um, you know, children of all colors or spe- specifically white children can still like, they can latch on or something. Um, I don't know. I'm truly just like thinking that in the moment, you know, but it's this question of why is this a trend of yeah. why is this, what is, what is the, What's behind it? Maybe, yeah. maybe a good deal of it is the, the white parents are the ones buying the tickets for mm-hmm. a lot of the kids. Mm-hmm. And it's like, are they, I mean, I, I used to teach in the inner city and I'm not a teacher anymore, but I just think about the differences between when I taught in the inner city, the parents and the, the parents when I taught in like a white community. Um, there, there's a lot of concerns about things that uh, you know, are, are starkly different that, you know, don't really make a whole lot of sense with like my child, like, don't allow my child to do this, allow my child to do this, like, don't allow. So I wonder if it's just, I, I'm trying to avoid a conversation about race mm-hmm. in the car mm-hmm. right now. Yep. Which is so sad. Like if you're, you're afraid your, your 
that your white kids need to have a disembodied character so that they can identify. Like if you're teaching your white kids that, and you, and I don't think it's conscious. I don't think these mess, white parents, I think a lot of whiteness, the problem is it's, it's an unconscious thing we do. And that's why we want to talk about this topic. And by the way, sorry, I'm sidetracking so much. So appreciate you, Daniel, being willing to come on and do the, do the work for us again, educating us. I, I feel like this is a labor that black people end up doing a lot for white people. And and we feel like, you know, having somebody who's in the industry speak to it is so much more powerful. But anyway, it's a lot of his unconscious things that white people are unaware that we do. And that's why we want to have these conversations and talk about it. But like what a disservice it does to kids if as a white person subconsciously, you feel like your kid will only be able to identify with a character mm -hmm. if they're not black. Like if they're if you put them into an animated frog or something else, then the white kid could take in the messages easier. Even if you're not conscious, you're doing that. Clearly, this something's going on here to mm -hmm. have to disembody black characters in animated series. And it's sad because like, how are you going to I feel like empathy, the work of empathy, a lot of it is putting yourself in someone else's shoes. It's being able to see yourself through another perspective. And if you're saying an, uh, like, you know, a frog or a, a blue blob or, you know, like something else is easier for your, your white kid to imagine the world through or see or accept those messages through more than through a black character. That says quite a lot, even if you don't realize that's what you're, what you're saying. And, and maybe it is, I don't want to have the conversations in the car with Mike. I don't want my kids to notice things I'm not willing to deal with yet in our family, in our environment. I, I, this, these are good questions. I have no idea. Like how, what are, it's, I, I didn't even notice it until I read the article that this happens over and over as a white person, mm -hmm. completely oblivious to, um, to taking in that reality that this happens. Well, and I think it, um, it comes down to like accessibility as well and when we're talking about this and it's I, I remember when i was a little kid and you know we we were allowed to bring in movies and this is an elementary school and we were allowed to bring in movies you know towards the end of the year when there was less going on and i brought in the whiz oh which you know yes <laughs> so good. and it's so good and to me that was just the whiz like i grew up watching that movie and then all these white kids were like shook they were like what is this you know, and I had to like, you know, not necessarily like hating it, but um, again, like not being able to relate to it. And to me, that was just, that was just a movie. And then I'm like, oh, well, this is a black movie now. Oh. Um, and, or, you know, the reason this is like, a, you know, so um, whatever, I'm not going to apologize for it, but I love the Real Housewives. And <laughs> So, you know, and so for so many years, it's like, you know, my white friends who also watch the housewives, but they're like, oh, but I don't, I don't really watch Atlanta or I don't, I don't watch Potomac. And those are like the, the, the franchises with black women. And you go, well, why is that? Because there's, and you know, because they go, well, I don't really see myself in it, mm -hmm. but it's like, it, you know, but because white culture is like the standard and mm -hmm. anything else all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, like, you know, that's not accessible to me, but it's the same thing. Or it's like, there's not this cultural resonance and it's just so ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but how, mm -hmm. tell how telling is it that they are like able to recognize when they are not represented, mm -hmm. but then huh. cannot, <laughs> cannot appreciate the lack of representation of people of color. Like, 
It's insane. It's wild. Yeah. Or even to think as a black person growing up, watching shows through white eyes becomes default or like you have to. Like it media's were so overrepresented that like you have learned to to watch, you know, the real housewives and ones that are not just predominantly black and it and you enjoy them and you but you've had to do that your whole life. Like it's normal. Right. Whereas a white person mm-hmm. has that option to be like, you know what? I'll stick to things where it looks the most like me. And I don't even notice mm-hmm. I'm doing that. And I don't even have the ability to feel comfortable. Like what mm-hmm. you're able to do that a white person on the reverse would feel like, oh, it, it doesn't feel like me. And it's like, wow. I, I don't know. It, it was, as you were saying it, it just, it makes you think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was thinking a little bit too um, about things that, that like I would get excited about. Um, uh, for example, um, you know, there was the, uh, in, in a Marvel movie, um, Doctor Strange, there's uh, the Ancient One, who in the comic books is an Asian character. And I was, you know, oh, great, you know, you're going to have an, uh, you know, an Asian character in a Marvel movie who then gets played by Tilda Swinton. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then the one that really kind of just was like n- nail in the coffin for me, which, you know, the obviously chronologically it's not in order but um when the announcement for ghost in the shell which was one of my favorite um animes oh my god growing up the (laughs) announcement for ghost in the shell and i'm like yes this is becoming a hollywood movie i they're not going to do it justice but whatever we're going to see ghost in the shell um a big big budget box office you know smash hit and the japanese main character is played by scarlett johansson like why I want to. I want to see my people on screen. You know, <laughs> right? It's it's so absolutely absurd. And again, it's like who greenlit this? This had to go through yeah. so many levels of production. You know, they had to have meetings and all of these things. And no one thought this was a bad idea. And mm. it's because well, who was in the room? Yeah. Who was who? Who who were the people doing this? And it's so crazy. And um, I love Twitter. I love um, gay Twitter and Black Twitter. And it's like you know, it's like my saving grace on many days because <laughs> people are just so funny. And now it's become this become this running joke where you know something will be coming out. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example right now, but let's let's say you know hypothetically, it's like. Disney's The Princess and the Frog starring Anika Noni Rose. And so people would be like, was Scarlett Johansson not available? (laughs) (laughs) It's become this running joke of just like, uh, oh, Scarlett Johansson, this this, um, person of color, like goddess. It's just like totally (laughs) taking the air out of it. And it's just like, how ridiculous. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom starring Scarlett Johansson. Oh, (laughs) Um, can we go back to Disney for a second? Sorry to interrupt. I just like, I'm thinking about, um, you know, everything that happened over the past, uh, summer in 2020, um, you know, with the, the, the Black Lives Matter movement and of course, all of the, the terrible tragedies that happened at the hands of like police brutality. Um, one of the things that I was really, um, kind of moved by in the moment was that uh the bride splash mountain in disney world um it was there's a petition someone someone made a petition to have it rethemed 
from Song of the South, which if you know anything mm-hmm. about Song of the South, it's always been problematic. Uh, even when they took out all of the problematic, most problematic parts, um, they're going to have it rethemed to be Princess and the Frog themed, right? Um, so I was like, cool, like, that's awesome. You know, I, I, I think that that's like a good thing as a white person who is not really diving too deep into this thought process. Apparently the petition got so many signatures and so much support on social media, on, you know, on the internet, uh, even on the news in some cases that Disney's going to do it. I've heard like, how do we feel about this? Is this like Daniel, how, how do you feel about it? Have you heard about this? I have heard about it. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's fantastic. I think that, um, like you saying they are going to change it. They're going to get rid of the song of the South theme. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just, again, these little subtle things where they become subliminal messages that people don't even realize, um, that now they know this tune and it's, it's embedded in their head. They don't even realize maybe like the origin of it but it's so awful. Um, and so, you know, and it's again, you know, it's monuments, it's, you know, these monuments and these statues, which you might not even know what, who it is, but then as soon as you do like the idiot, bittiest little bit of research, it's like, Oh, well, this person was an, was a horrible white supremacist supremacist who wanted to take my life. Um, and then people are all up in, you know, up in arms are like, well, you can't take our monuments, mm. but it's like, why does it matter? You know, I'm sure there were people upset about them getting rid of the song of the South theme. They're like, why do you care so much? Yes. They go, well, it's always been like this. <laughs> so why does it, why does it need to stay like this? You know, why can't we celebrate someone? Why can't we celebrate something that's actually good that actually could empower at like the next generation? Mm. Um, you know, and it's these subtle things that add up to something that people go, well, why is it so important? It's just a song. Yeah. Why is it important? It's just a statue. But it's like, maybe to you, but to, to me, it could be so much more. It's traumatic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's trauma inducing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when you're talking about, uh, when you were talking about just that whole, you know, well, why does it need to stay that way? I think, and we're, cause we're jumping into monuments and we're getting a little off media. I'm going to just do a little bit more of that. But we, I think we had a conversation about schools being renamed, right? From Columbus schools to like mm-hmm. just, and, and people, I guess, who've gone to schools where it was named a certain thing and then now their high school's being renamed and white people getting upset about it. But it's like, wouldn't you be proud that your, that your school has evolved, that they recognize mm-hmm. that they have enough awareness of, of the damage of historical people who, and, and wanting to, to change. And I think there's that 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 conflict in white people of can I even acknowledge that what we did before was hurtful and harmful that I always felt comfortable in this state but it didn't feel that way for everyone else and just becoming aware of that is now gonna it's like when you learn something new and then you're replaying a past a past memory and it could ruin something for you that you really mm-hmm. enjoyed because now you're aware of something you weren't before and you want to keep everything intact as happy as it was before but shouldn't there be like a sense of pride that we as a society are are evolving like okay my kids are now going to my old school and they changed the name because we care we care Mm -hmm. enough about about as a society growing and embracing everyone and not being blind but like that 
choosing not to be blind also means acknowledging that we got things wrong before, that we had a racist history and a racist past that benefited certain groups over other groups more. And, and saying that out loud when I was unaware before and it made things so happy and good for me now might make me feel guilty. And now I have to worry about, oh my gosh, I feel like I could be a terrible, like there's just so much, I don't know, people get so paranoid of feeling guilty or bad or having to, to consider they could be a bad person instead of focusing on growing as normal and healthy and good mm -hmm. and becoming aware is important and stop focusing on yourself for two seconds. Stop focusing on, does this mean I was bad before? What was wrong? I hear white people all the time. What was wrong with the way things were before? Why can't we just accept our history and stop making everything about political correct? Like just, it's such an unwillingness to, to even confront anything historically true that makes us look bad. And yeah, I, I, I want white people to care about growing more instead of being afraid that we might look bad in the past and have a new lens to see our past actions in history and needing to defend what made us comfortable before. Well, and I think that's, um, yeah, like that's in theory, that is what people that's like what we want people, white people to think and be like, take it as a source of pride while we're growing. But that is giving uh, people more often than not, they don't have any sense. It's like, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, this should be the reaction. But more often than not, it's like people don't have any damn sense. And like you're saying, it's, you know, it becomes this um, it's the initial reaction that's so narcissistic. Um, and it's about power and it's like, mm -hmm. oh, like uh, we're now we're going now the, the standard isn't just going to be whiteness. You know, mm -hmm. it's this, you know, you're you're feeling outnumbered. You're feeling like, oh, well, now I'm I'm losing like my what what did um, Donald Trump call um, like, you know, the 1619 project, which if people haven't listened to, it's fantastic. The New York Times. It's so good. It's, it's so, so good. good. And he what did he he was like completely there, he um, said he said they're teaching our children to hate america mm-hmm mm -hmm. and <laughs> it's just like it's Ugh. just i mean i'm sorry to bring up that name for anyone because it's i know it's triggering for me but it's this loss you see you see like your heritage mm -hmm. slipping through your fingers and it's like this is the heritage that you want to hold on to this racist, horrible, destructive heritage. But yeah, because they don't, you know, so many white people don't want to actually examine that because if they examine that, then that means their entire sense of self is, is gone, is completely now um, distorted, but it's not even distorted. It's factual. Yeah. And that is too big a pill to swallow. I think it means that they have to admit that they were wrong. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, a lot of white people, it's really hard to admit that you were wrong because they feel, they, I mean, number one, like you said, they feel like they're giving something up in order, in order for uh, people of color to be uh, raised up. They have to feel like they're like giving up some sort of slack or something. Um, and then the second thing is, you know, they have to feel like, Oh, I was just wrong my whole life. My whole entire existence was completely incorrect. And it's okay to be wrong. They just feel yeah. I, I, like it's okay. It's not the end of the world. You're not going to die if we you were a can racist. Be wrong. As yeah. white people, we can admit we are wrong. And we, 
I, it's sad when you hear those, when uh, I was listening to Donald Trump say something like, they want to say that we are the bad people. They're trying to say we are bad. And it's like, what's wrong with doing that, though, to say yeah. we have done some horrible things in our history? Like, that shows that need to have a, this identity of the hero all the time, right? And mm -hmm. I, I have a question, though, um, Daniel, because you were in, the, um, in, in a production of Showboat. The last time I saw Showboat, I was way too young to, to have any real awareness of the story that was being told or even really the, the, the setting. Um, what are your, your thoughts on, on those kinds of stories? Can, can anything really be gleaned from that? You know what? And, I, and it reminds me, it's this conversation then about revivals. And I don't think that a lot of shows need to necessarily be revived. Um, you know, I did this production of Showboats um, years ago. Uh, and for those that don't know it, it's, oh God, I'm, I'm even struggling to remember some of it. But there's one character named Julie, and she is... Um, she is black, she is mixed, but she passes. So she is able to enter this world of whiteness and be this, you know, star singer. Um, but even in our production, the woman playing this role who's supposed to be mixed, they, it was a white woman who, you know, just had, you know, more like olive skin tone. And um, why? Mm. This question of why. Yeah. And so like, if you're not going to actually do the work to tell this story properly and you go, is there even a way to tell this story properly? Does it, you know, this, this, this media short, like, you know, changed the world of musical theater in what the early 1900s. Great. It had an impact. You contextualize it, but does it need, does the story need to be told now? And, you know, I was in there, I was, and in some ways I loved, I loved it because I had such little responsibility. You know, I was like 24 and I just, me and my friends, I guess I had to like hang out backstage and you have these fun moments or there's less responsibility on you. But I was hardly in that show. You're, you know, you're sitting on a bale of hay and you know, the song colored folks work on the Mississippi colored folks work while the white folk play. Like you're doing this. Does this, does this really need to be, done anymore why don't why don't we lift up new musicals yes. by new writers with new voices you know queer voices black voices right. uh like asian voices do we still have we still have to keep telling these same old stories um and you know and it's again it's this nostalgia oh but it's showboat mm. so <laughs> oh, but it's the song. But it's the song of the South theme. I've listened to this song my whole life. Oh my so, <laughs> like, is this question what? of so? Yeah, like it's it's so it, it's so weird to think that like as a kid I would just like run around skipping and singing zippity doo dah. Like that's mm -hmm. messed up. I I mm -hmm. really someone should have stopped me. Mm -hmm. But um, you don't, yeah. you know, and, and but you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And that's okay. And there have been so many moments in my life where I'm like, well, I didn't know what I didn't know. That's right. That's and exactly that's something right. we white people need to take in in order to let go of our fragility is just you didn't know what you didn't know making mistakes and perfectionism like being perfectionist is not helpful in a process mm -hmm. of growing and being able to say look i you know better do better mm -hmm. like what you weren't aware of what you ran around singing as a kid is what you were taught you had no awareness learn grow 
Mm. Yeah. 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 Um, Daniel, I have one more question. I'm sorry. I keep imparting you. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Okay. What you got the questions, Vicki, you always come in with the good questions. <laughs> what was your favorite role that you've had um, in musical theater? Mm, I think my favorite role that I've had, sorry, it takes me a second. I'm That's taking okay. a Take second. Time. You know, um, do you guys know the musical next to normal? Vaguely. No. So, um, so I worked at this summer sock theater um, years ago and it, it was very, you know, life-changing in a lot of ways, my experience there. But I never, like, you know, most of the times in my career, I've, I only get seen for black shows, you know, and I've gotten to do some incredible shows, you know, I've gotten to do, you know, Five Guys MO and Dream Girls and all of these stories that are really rooted and have been really um, meaningful. But I don't really get to get seen out of outside of that realm, and so I got to that summer. I got to do it's a rep, it's a repertory theater, so you do like six shows in the summer, and um, it's rotating reps. So you might be doing one show Tuesday, Wednesday, another show Thursday, another show Friday, Saturday. It's really a cool, very challenging experience. <laughs> but um, in next to normal, I got to play. Uh, like the love interest of one of, of the protagonists and it's your young, this young character. And I was like a pothead. And, but he's this, um, he was the smart, his na name is Henry. And I never get to play roles like that where um, kind of close to my own life, you know, and also it was probably the only time I've gotten to play a young character. Mm -hmm. I always play authoritative figures and I was like, oh my God, I get to play this character who's actually kind of close in age to me. Um, so that was, that was a cool experience. And the music is gorgeous. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of anything else. Um, there are roles that I want to play. I was going to um, be my question. I was going to be like, you <laughs> can play any role. What yeah. pick? If you, could, you could pick any character, any role, anything you'd love to gun for and get if you could, you know, you had a genie give you. <laughs> I would love, you know, there's a musical called Passing Strange, which is one of my favorite musicals. Um, but it's, you know, the lead character, it's uh, a black man who is just figuring some stuff out and he ends up traveling abroad and, you know, experimenting. Um, he's just on this journey of finding who he is. And it was the first time that I ever even saw myself in a character reflect it you know this person where you're not you aren't this stereotypical role that you know you get to explore your identity what does that mean um but also it's a straight character i never you know there's not a ton of and part of my own frustration within my career is i never get to play a gay character because people see me on this six two 200 plus pound black man and they go well he, that's not our idea of of uh queerness mm. um and so i feel like the probably my ideal role probably hasn't been written yet mm. hmm. wow wow and that and you just touched on so well the idea of why representation matters and why we need mm -hmm. to have more diversity to to be able to explore your own identity and see yourself in a character how powerful that is and how many different people still haven't had themselves represented yet? Haven't mm -hmm. had 
their different identities put together in a way where they're like, that's me. Hey, I see myself. Like, as a white woman who's straight, I've seen myself plenty. I think Mm -hmm. that's what I liked about, um, I think someone asked that question to the producers of Black Panther or had made a comment of like, you know, um, what if, you know, what if it was um, something like only white, you know, only white people making it. I was like, that's been done mm-hmm. all the time. Like, that is the reality. So, like... And you take certain, you know, if you don't see... I remember when I was a little kid, I was obsessed with Pocahontas. Oh, because God. I go, oh, my God, this is a brown princess. And even though it wasn't my heritage, you know, you you glean on, you or you glom on to things that's like... And it's kind of, in, in a way, it's sad because it's like, well, this is what I'm taking what I get, what I can get. Mm-hmm. And Nate, do you do you have like experiences like this where it's like, oh, this might not actually be telling my my story, but oh. I relate to it. I think seeing characters in movies like uh, like actors specifically, like I, I really got into um, Jackie Chan and Jet Li. I, I'm not Chinese, mm-hmm. and yet. Japanese media was so difficult for me to absorb when I was younger because I, I didn't speak the language. I grew up mm-hmm. in Jersey, you know, so mm-hmm. um, uh, Chinese, you know, Kung Fu movies were much more uh, prolific and a lot of Chinese actors were speaking English in their movies. So I, I, I latched on to the uh, latched on to those, mm-hmm. um, you know, but but. Again, like you, I, I feel kind of the same. Like the ideal representation still isn't there yet for me. Um, so I latch on to things in media wherever I can find it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a nerd, and Star Trek is my thing. And uh, the character of Worf, I, I latched on to him because. He is a, um, you know, he's a, a Klingon who was raised by humans, mm-hmm. and he loves, he, he's so into his Klingon heritage, but he doesn't really get it. And you can see other Klingons like, like, who the fuck are you? You're not, you're not among us. You're not one of us. But he, he kind of pretends to act like one, and he, he, he likes their traditions, but he still, he's still he still has that like raised by humans sort of stamp and I the outsider. Yeah. Feeling. And I kind of feel that as like, you know, a, um, somebody who has a Japanese name who was born and raised in New Jersey, you know, I, I, I don't get my Japanese heritage, but you love, it. I love it. You know, mm-hmm. you travel to Japan a few times yeah. regularly. Yeah. You have your, Japanese tattoo of your your tribe. Oh yeah, my 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 family crest. Your family crest. Yeah. Uh, that's that's yeah. cool. That's really cool. Yeah. And a word so. that you said, um, outsider. You know. Yeah. When, and so much of this, even our all of our conversations, it's uh, you know you spend your whole lives as an outsider looking in, and so when you have these moments where you you know you can latch on. And also I love that word latch because it's like you do, you latch on to these things because they're meaningful to you and the things that you learn as an outsider. And that's probably why, you know, and I feel in, in so many ways, I'm grateful because it's like, I can see it all. Mm. And when I can see it all because I've looked, I've been looking from the outside. And so it's like, that's why I can, you know, say to these people, it's like, no, 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 this is wrong because X, Y, and Z. 
And these are the ramifications and the implications of this. And you don't understand. And so I need to tell you, which sucks, but you're never going to learn. And then you're actually going to keep harming me. Yeah. Well, Daniel, I want to thank you again for taking some time out of your day to sit with us and, and to hang out and to share your thoughts. Um, and also thank you for taking time to, to sit and educate again. I know it's not fun, um, but I also feel it's necessary. And um, I think that these conversations are very important to have if we're ever going to change the world. <laughs> yeah. 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 Thank so. you so much for having me. And I, yeah, I loved this. I love, I, I could talk about this stuff and I could talk about this stuff with you guys forever. You know, there's so much to unpack always, but yeah, thank you Absolutely. so much. Yeah. Well, I think that about does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Rate and review us on iTunes, and be sure to swing by don'treatthispodcast.com. You can interact with us there, leave comments on episodes, and even drop us a voicemail by clicking the blue microphone in the bottom right corner of the screen. And who knows, we might even play your message on a future episode, with your permission, of course. And be sure to hit us up on social media as well. We'd love to get your thoughts and feedback on the show. We're at Don't Repeat This Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and at Don't Repeat Pod on Twitter. Once again, on behalf of my co-hosts, Gail and Vicky, I'm Nate, and this has been Don't Repeat This, so maybe don't repeat this stuff at the dinner table.